Good morning, everyone. Please join me as we read the prayer for illumination together. Eternal God, your spirit inspired those who wrote the Bible and enlightened us to hear your word fresh each day. Help us to rely always on your promises in the scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our reading this morning is from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know to, on whose account this evil had come upon us. So they cast lots, and the, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they say to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is that that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. May God bless his reading of his word. Oh, please uh, read with me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. William Temple was a 20th century Anglican bishop who famously said, the church is the only society that exists for those who are not its members. Now, I would like you to sit with that for a moment with me and consider that statement. Do you agree with Temple? Should King's Church exist not for your benefit or my benefit or for our kids' benefit, but instead for the people who don't go to King's Church, who are outside our walls. If we adopted that perspective, how would it change the way we operate? 
How would it change our budget? Would you still come? Now, Temple's remark is somewhat absolute, and perhaps it's for effect. And I would argue that the church exists for both groups. It exists for its members to disciple the people within the church, God's people, but also we exist for our neighbors. And that's why we're beginning this series, Sharing God's Love. Sharing God's love. And the implication is we are sharing God's love with our neighbors and the world. Now let's be honest though. It's much easier easier as a church to be insular, to focus our resources on ourselves, on our needs, on making sure that we're comfortable, making sure we're addressing all of the things that are needed for our people. And that's why... The book of Jonah is perhaps one of the best books we could spend time studying over the next few weeks because this is a book that really does confront our insular tendencies and it reveals more than the the truth that we should love people who are outside our walls. It really gets to the heart of the matter by revealing God's heart. For those that we would consider the outsiders or maybe even our enemies. Now Jonah is best known for being swallowed by a fish. That's how most of us know the story of Jonah. And it's because of that extraordinary tale that some people don't view Jonah as a historical book. Or maybe even a historical person. But Jonah was certainly a historical figure. He's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. And we're told there that Jeroboam II was king of Israel. Now at that point in time, uh, Israel was two kingdoms. This was after King David, after Solomon, when when Israel split into a northern and southern kingdom. Israel was a northern kingdom. And Jeroboam II at this time was its king. And we're told that Jeroboam restored the border of Israel. See, what happened was at its height under Solomon, the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel was at its zenith, its high point. And since then, when the the two kingdoms uh, came to be, the borders of Israel shrank. But here, under the leadership of Jeroboam II, those borders were restored. And we're told that this happened according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hephir. So here Jonah is serving as a prophet of God under the king Jeroboam II. So certainly we can say that Jonah was a historical person. Now this probably happened in the middle of the 8th century, over 700 years before Jesus was alive. And it should be noted that Jesus himself considered Jonah a historical person and that his situation, his, the event of him being swallowed by a fish, Jesus actually references that event 
and makes a correlation with his resurrection. This happens in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So from the Bible's perspective, Jonah is a historical person, uh, but at the same time, if we analyze this book, it's clear that it's intended to be a satirical book. Satire uh, exposes human folly or human vice, and usually it does it in a humorous way. Now, oftentimes, satire is used in, in small sections of a story or a passage. Here with the book of Jonah, the whole thing is satire. The whole thing is intended to be humorous and almost comical. And so we shouldn't take the book so seriously that we don't see what the genre here is trying to accomplish. One way we could uh, title the book of Jonah, maybe even as a subtitle, is that this is a handbook on how not to be a prophet. A handbook on how not to be a prophet. And that will be clear as we work our way through the book. So let's jump in. Starting in verse 1 and 2, what are we told here? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now the book starts off like many of the prophetic books. For example, Hosea 1 starts out the same way. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri. The book of Joel the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Micah 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. Time and time again in these prophetic books, we're told at the very beginning, the word of the Lord that came. That's a common phrase used in the Hebrew language. It speaks of God using and speaking to his prophets. And usually God would call his prophets, like Joel, Micah, and others, to pronounce God's judgment either on the people of God, Israel, or a foreign nation. But this is the one and only time that God calls a prophet to speak against a foreign nation and to go to that nation to do so. It's the only time that a prophet is told to go to a foreign city. God tells Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a vast city located about 600 miles northeast of Israel. It's near the modern city today of Mosul. And you may have seen the news a couple years ago in, in 2014 when ISIS destroyed what was considered the tomb of Jonah. And so the text tells us that Nineveh was a great city. That means it was large. It had a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people were in Nineveh. Um, it was probably the largest urban center of the Assyrian Empire at this time, and that was a growing, ever-growing empire. It was calculated to have taken about three days to travel around the city of Nineveh. And so it had this huge population, but it was also very influential. So it was a great city in many ways. And God says that their evil, the evil of Nineveh, 
has come up before me. So Nineveh was as wicked as it was impressive in size and in influence. The Assyrians were known to be extremely brutal in battle. They were vicious. They massacred their enemies. They mutilated their captives. Decapitation, dismemberment, they burned people alive. Uh, indescribable, gory forms of torture. Um, I heard one um, professor speak of these reliefs you can see in the British Museum, uh, Assyrian reliefs that show piles of heads, very gruesome uh, images from Assyria. And so they posed, Assyria, they posed a real threat to the security of Israel for a very long time. And it would only be decades after Jonah's story that the Assyrians would indeed conquer the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. Now, uh, one scholar uh, that I read this past week talked about this term, the Hebrew word for evil here could also be understood in in terms of troubles, calamities, that that the Lord has seen these calamities that had taken place in in Nineveh as well. And it was known uh, that at this point in time in history that Assyria actually was experiencing famine, uprisings, uh, a destructive earthquake, all of which likely would have made the people of Assyria very open to Jonah's message at, at the point that he does finally arrive in Nineveh. Now, you may remember, it may bring to mind when you think of Nineveh of Nimrod back in Genesis 10 and 11. That was where Nineveh was founded. Nimrod built the city. Uh, you might recall he also was responsible for the Tower of Babel. Uh, that, so that's, um, I think, the imagery you're supposed to imagine when you think of Nineveh. It is the capital pagan city, the height of defiance against God. And here, God is calling his prophet to go and to preach. And, and this is where the, the, the comical nature of this book hits us right in verse 3. You hear God come to Jonah, his prophet, tells him to go, preach, go to Nineveh, and you expect a prophet of God to obey, to respond. And what does Jonah do? We're told Jonah rose to flee, to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Uh, Some think that might have been a large, exorbitant amount, actually, to pay that fare. Went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And I have a map uh, that kind of shows you geographically what we're talking about here. You can see Joppa would have been down along the Mediterranean coast of Israel. It would have been a very uh, cosmopolitan port, meaning there would, there would have been a, a, a variety of, of people from various nations there. Might be why Jonah went there, so that he wouldn't have to deal with any other Israelites. Uh, but instead of going the 600 miles northwest or northeast to uh, Nineveh, we're told that Jonah gets on this boat to go to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish wasn't necessarily a known city, It's more of a reference. Some people argue it's a reference to the open sea. Others talk about how it would have been referencing Spain. 
the Straits of Gibraltar there, all out on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. In other words, what Jonah does is he goes to the ship and he pays money. He says, just get me out of here. I don't want to go in that direction. I'm going the opposite way of where God wants me to go. That's what we're supposed to, uh, to read here in, in Jonah fleeing to Tarshish. He's going in the opposite direction. He doesn't want anything to do with going to Nineveh. And this is where we see the heart of the book, right here in verse 3. God calls Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah goes in the opposite direction. God calls Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. Jonah refuses. He wants nothing to do with it. And so he runs from the presence of God. And he does that physically. Now think about the options here for Jonah. Jonah could have just refused and stayed put. He could have been like a toddler. Have you, maybe your toddler has done this. You're at the mall and you want the toddler to go with you. And the toddler throws a temper tantrum and just falls limp. Does the limp body thing. And you've seen those parents trying to drag their child. You know, Jonah could have done the limp body temper tantrum you know, to refuse to obey God, but he chooses to flee because he wants to get away from the presence of the Lord. There was this association of God's presence connected geographically with the promised land. And so, in some sense, Jonah thinks wrongly, of course, that if I get away from Israel, if I get away from the land, that maybe perhaps I can remove myself from God's promise and I won't have to be annoyed by this word of the Lord that's telling me to go to Nineveh. And so he flees. And, you know, I think sometimes we have that association with geography sometimes as well. And it's kind of foolish. Uh, Maybe you've heard it in that marketing uh, with Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas as if you can go to some other place and run away from the presence of God as if he doesn't know where you are, as if he isn't with you. Uh, We have the same foolish notion that we can compartmentalize our lives in this way. Running from the presence of the Lord. We are like Jonah, are we not? Running from God, fleeing from his presence, fleeing from his calling on our lives. Now, why is Jonah running? Why is Jonah so adamant, so determined to get away from the presence of the Lord? Well, you might think, well, God's calling him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the enemy. He's calling him to go into the heart of the enemy empire. It would be like God calling me to go to North Korea. (laughs) To go to North Korea, preach against the totalitarian government there, preach the word of God, Now, the first thing I would think is that would be very dangerous. My life would be at risk if I were to do something like that. But that isn't why Jonah doesn't go. That isn't why Jonah flees. It's not that he's afraid that they'll reject his message in killing. Oh, if only that were the case. We have to jump to chapter 4 to really understand the heart of Jonah and what the, the issue is. And in, in chapter 4, if you, if you know chapter 3, Jonah does go to Nineveh. He does preach. They do repent, and God forgives them. 
And in chapter 4, we're told that Jonah was mad, that Jonah was angry. And in verse 2, he says, That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah wasn't afraid they wouldn't repent and his life would be in danger. Jonah was afraid the Ninevites would repent and God would forgive them. This is the heart of Jonah. And this is the contrast that we have to be faced with and confronted with when we read the book of Jonah. God's heart and how different it is from Jonah's heart. God's heart and how different it is from Jonah's heart. The book of Jonah really is an attack on ethnocentrism, which is, you know, favoritism towards your own special group and a disdain for other groups. Now, that's especially the case when we believe wrongly that God favors us for some reason at the expense of others. And that's what the book of Jonah is attacking. The the Jewish notion that as God's chosen people, they had God's special favor at the expense of other nations. And the book of Jonah is attacking and exposing that understanding and belief. You know, Jonah was perfectly fine being Jeroboam's prophet when he was able to bring God's word to the king about all the wonderful things God was doing for his people. Jonah didn't have any problem obeying. But when God called him to do something that was odious to him, that was offensive to him, to preach repentance to the enemy, Jonah fled. And I wonder... How might this this attitude be present in our church? How How might you and I reflect the heart of Jonah? I mean, Jonah simply wanted no part in something so horrible as mercy shown to a brutal, oppressing enemy nation. And how do we reflect Jonah's heart in the ways that we withhold from the people outside the walls of our church. Now, how does God respond? We go to verse 4. The Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up, and the mariners were afraid. Those were the sailors. And each cried out to his God. They were polytheists. These were pagans. They believed in a whole host of gods. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Now what's interesting is to notice the language of the story and that language of down, 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 down. It's repeated time and time again. And it it flows out of Jonah's desire to flee from God. Here we get an interesting display of what happens when we refuse to obey God when we flee from him. First, we're told that Jonah went down to Joppa 
Jonah was probably in the higher elevations of Israel at the time. He gets this word from the Lord, but he goes down to Joppa to the port, finds the ship, and we're told that he goes down into it. And then we're told later on they went down into the inner part of the ship, and he had laid down and was fast asleep. It's like Jonah is spiraling down, down, down. And if you've ever been in that place in life where you've told a lie, and then you've told a lie to cover a lie, and then you told a lie to cover the lie that covered the lie, it it feels like you're just digging a deeper and deeper hole. That's That's what's happening with Jonah. The more he refuses to obey, the farther away he tries to get from God, the deeper down, down, down he goes in the story. That's the effect of running from the presence of God. Now, Jonah was trying to run physically from God's presence. But there was also something else on a very spiritual, psychological, and emotional level happening here as well. And I think it's symbolized in the fact that Jonah fell asleep in the middle of this gigantic storm. Now, if you follow the story chronologically, the storm hits the ship, and it's so violent, the ship, it seems like the ship is going to break apart. Then we're told Jonah goes down into the inner parts of the boat and falls asleep. It's not like he fell asleep before the storm. What is going on with a person that can fall asleep in the middle of a hurricane? Well, what's interesting is the language for this term asleep is more than just a catnap. He is out cold. It's similar language used of Adam when God puts Adam to sleep and does surgery and removes a, a rib to make Eve. Jonah is completely out. It's a deep, deep sleep. And one commentator put it this way. This is the kind of sleep that's going on here with Jonah. Blankness, listless, listlessness, and sleepiness, sometimes bordering on narcolepsy, are co- extremely common symptoms of psychological depression. That depression should have followed upon a prophet's decision to end his career and exile himself from his home and country is hardly surprising. So not only is Jonah physically fleeing from God's presence, in the moment he is emotionally and spiritually and psychologically fleeing from God and expresses himself, he goes to sleep. And I wonder how many of you can relate How many of you feel like you're fleeing from God and it's it's expressing itself in the fact that you are numb to life, that you are sleepwalking through life? And it's the only way you can survive because at the core of your being, you are fleeing and running from God's calling on your life. And so as a protective measure, you're turning off You're turning it off, and you're trying to sleep through your existence. How many of us can relate to Jonah here? Now, we're going to revisit this part of the story next week and go a little further on into chapter 1. But I want to leave you with these final thoughts as we reflect on this part of Jonah's story. And first, I want you to think this coming week and reflect on this point that Our hearts are often at odds with God's heart. I think that's the first thing that comes to to 
to be very clear in this story that your heart, your heart is often at odds with God's heart. And we need to see that, that God has called each and every one of us to some incredible things, some very hard things. He calls us out of our comfort, and some of those things we do not want to do. And we have this tendency to flee. And, and if we really go deeper under what underlines that, it's really a heart issue, that God's heart is here and our heart's here. And I would encourage you to spend some time thinking and reflecting, what are the ways that God's heart maybe is probing and pushing my heart to do something that maybe I don't want to do? Spend some time this week reflecting on that. Second thing is when we sense that calling of the heart of God to go, that oftentimes we flee. And maybe for some of you, that, that manifests itself in the fact that you don't go to church as often as you should. Maybe you're not involved in a community group. Maybe you're not involved in a cluster group here at King's Church. Maybe, maybe you don't stay for the Connect Hour. Uh, maybe you've kind of pushed away your Christian friends. Maybe you don't want to be asked difficult questions. Um, Maybe, maybe that's a reality for you. Maybe there are different ways you're fleeing from God. You're kind of giving Him the stiff arm because you don't want to deal. You don't want to confront the conflict, the reality that's within you. And that's what we see with Jonah. And maybe that's true of you. And a final thought is, is we see hope. We see hope in this story. We see the hope that God doesn't give up on us. And God will not give up on you. If you see yourself in Jonah, if you see yourself in that place where you are fleeing from God and you're running from Him, just know God is in pursuit of you. We see it in verse 4 where the Lord hurls this great wind upon the sea. What's interesting in all the ways in the book of Jonah, you see the various parts of nature obeying God the sea, you see this pagan captain. God uses this pagan captain to speak to Jonah. The captain uh, uses similar language as God did at the beginning. He says, arise, call out to your God. You see God using this pagan captain to uh, prompt Jonah. You see it in, when they cast the lots. The lot fell on Jonah. Now the lots would have been probably a pair of dice. They could have had uh, alternating light and dark sides to them. And perhaps when they cast the lots, uh, they may have interpreted it something like this, that if you cast the lots, maybe two dark sides would have meant no, uh, two light sides would have meant yes, and maybe a light and a dark could have meant throw again. So they could have gone through each of the people on the boat, said, okay, is it the captain, and, and roll, cast the lots, and it said no, and then he went to the the next person, no, 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 until they got to Jonah. And we're told the, the lots said, yep, it's Jonah. And so God even uses this system to eliminate all the different sailors and, and put the spotlight on Jonah. And, it's, and as we go on in the story, we see God use a fish, we see God use a plant. All of these parts of nature obey God, and yet his prophet doesn't. His prophet doesn't. 
And here's really where the story of Jonah should really speak to us. You know, when we hear about God wanting to show compassion on the Ninevites, and we think, wow, what does that say about God that he would show compassion on the enemy? That's an amazing thing. When Jonah, the book of Jonah, will really begin to sing in your heart and begin to change you is when, yes, you're amazed by that, but when you come to see how incredibly amazing it is that God is patient with Jonah and how incredibly patient he is with you and that no matter how often and how determinedly You flee from Him. You cannot run from His presence. Eugene Peterson puts it well in his translation of the psalm when he says, Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you were there. If I go underground, you were there. If I flew on the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that there is nowhere you can flee from the presence of God? And what I love about Jonah's response is when he wakes up and they ask Jonah who he is, he says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Really, Jonah, do you fear the Lord? I don't, I don't think so. But he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah has the right theology, doesn't he? It just goes to show there's a difference between what you believe and what you believe. What you believe. What do you believe this morning? Francis Thompson was a 19th century poet, and he wrote the famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. And it's a beautiful picture of what the book of Jonah shows us in this story The way God pursues Jonah in the storm. He doesn't let him go. He doesn't let him get away, does he? And although Francis Thompson was a follower of Christ, it was known that he struggled with poverty and poor health, and he was addicted to opium. And in the depths of his despair, Thompson described his flight from God this way. He said, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I hid from him, and under running laughter, I sped from those strong feet that followed, followed after me. And Thompson knew that those feet were the feet of Jesus, who he he describes as the hound of heaven. And in the poem, Jesus pursues Thompson with unhurrying chase and un perturbed pace, deliberate speed, and majestic instancy. And he kept hearing the feet of his Savior beating after him. And in the poem, at one point, Jesus calls, All things betray those who betray me. And as one scholar described that poem, The Hound of Heaven, he described it this way, As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing near in the chase with unhurrying and imperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, unwearingly follows ever after, till the soul feels its pressure 
forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. Friends, do you hear the feet of Jesus coming after you? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, let us come into this time willing to confess and admit that, Jesus, our hearts are a poor reflection of yours. And that on a daily basis, we are convinced of that and we are convicted by that. And so we come this morning thankful of that good news, of this picture of our gracious God that we see in Jonah. A God who would not let Jonah flee, not run, but pursued him. And even in the storm, even in his sleep, woke him up. We pray that you would wake us up. Wake us from our slumber. Give us new life through your spirit. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.